This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. You did it professionally, and David Bolstead did it professionally as well. For any sport to be professional, there needs to be a market, there needs to be interest, there needs to be an audience uh, for sponsors to get involved, to be able to leverage. Where is the hub of professional wood chopping? Yeah, this was is, it here in New Zealand or was it overseas? We all got our start in New Zealand, of course. Um, then we graduated to Australia. But the main source of income for our professional careers came out of USA. So in 96, I, I was a, one of the first to go over and uh, compete in the Steel Timber Sports Series, which was the... Which was on ESPN here. I remember watching yeah. it on Sky and I remember watching you guys and being a very proud Kiwi to see you know, the name Bolstead and, and Winyard. Yeah, it was. Um, it got good coverage. A lot of our national championships ha- received coverage in New Zealand in the earlier days, but was the, the coverage wasn't on the level of what ESPN took the Steel Timber mm. Sports Series to in the USA. So, of course, we graduated over there. Actually, David took a more, um, like, he went to Australia more, so he... he went out and competed at the Royal Shows throughout Australia, whereas I headed really to USA early early on in my career, and I competed in Canada yeah. and USA. Yeah, I, I want to ask you this, um, I mean, if you don't, yeah, hopefully you can tell me, but what sort of prize money could you earn in the States? What sort of prize money could you earn in a year? And I'd imagine that probably you'd earn more in endorsements of certain outdoor equipment, but what was that balance? There wasn't huge endorsements, like people probably saw us on ESPN and thought, well, they must have been, you know, really, sponsored by really Steel and S-T-I-L-H, is it Steel? Uh, S-T-I-H-L. Yes, yeah, uh, which I think sponsors one of the tournaments you're going to go to shortly, which we'll talk yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, the, the huge endorsements weren't weren't really there for our sport, but it was bigger than anything else you could compete mm. for, say, in Australia or New Zealand. So um, both David and I sort of, gravitated toward that US-Canadian um, circuit. And the great thing was we could go and compete in the summer in the US when it was winter back in New Zealand and then come back and compete Australia and um, New Zealand in, in, in our summertime. So it was um, it was a great few years. Yeah, I mean, one thing we don't have in this country is scale in regards to population. In America, there is scale. There seems to be a market for everything. There are just so many different... Um, groups of people there are just um uh, what, what's the word there's so many different niches and sports can be a niche but still have a a really big public following uh, i mean within that wood chopping community within that outdoors community how big a names were you in america i think at at the peak of the still timber sports in usa we were we were pretty well recognized throughout the usa and it's like you say that they're great sports fans over there oh, and brilliant. because the country's so huge um, like I'd have people coming up to me in airports and saying, "Look, can you can you sign my cap?" Or, you know, I saw you on ESPN, and it was um, it was really eye opening 
um, compared to, you know, coming from New Zealand and, and not hardly getting noticed, even, even when you were getting that recognition in the States. So it was um, completely different to anything we were used to. And, and it was great. It was um, going back to the prize money question, there really wasn't a huge amount of prize money. I think um, the most I ever won there in a season would have been about 80,000. Eighty thousand US. Yeah, it's still not bad though, is it? it How was, long's the season? It was pretty good. The season roughly went for three months. Yeah, and um, so yeah, you you could make quite a good amount of money in a short amount of time, but you'd have to invest quite a lot of that money back into competing the next year. So it really, when you look back on it, it was a labour of love. It was, it and, was and if you could break even, if you could break even, great. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yeah. Um, how many different? Categories within wood chopping. I mean, how many? Like, is it you know you've got the decathlon and athletics? How many different categories? And just talk us through what different events you're involved in, what different events that you've won world championships, and what events do make up these series. Yeah, it's, it's there's quite a broad range of disciplines compared to other sports. So, um, primary disciplines in wood chopping are the standing chop, um, which is where the blocks mounted in it. And a you go vertical from, stand. And, and then you chop one side, run around, yeah, hit the exactly. other side. I think most of us have seen that, or must have an older generation maybe seen it. Yep. Yeah. Um, so that's the standing chop, and then you've got the underhand chop, which is where you cut footholds on the on the top of the block and you stand on the top of the block yeah. and cut each side, cut a scarf from each side. Um, then there's soaring disciplines. Uh, there's a single soaring, which is one person, uh, double soaring, which is two, two men or a male and a female, or two females. So... There's a range of disciplines in the soaring. And then there's also chainsaw disciplines, um, kind of starting at your stock production chainsaw and moving on to the open modified um, chainsaws. Yeah, that was the question I was going to ask you. How much of the equipment you use is stock standard and how much of it is customised and probably wouldn't be used in an everyday situation? Oh, most of the equipment wouldn't be used in an everyday situation, um, apart from the stock chainsaws that they provide for the competition, like the Steel Timber Sport Series. But you must have parameters in terms of what you can do with your equipment in terms of design? There really isn't too many um, rules uh, other than, you know, if it's an axe, you can. there's no weight limit. Um, you can have as long a handle as you want, but... The parameters around it, you're trying to make the most amount of speed with with the right amount of power. So, um, it's that balance between weight, exactly, and yeah, that ability between weight, sharpness, and all those other things. Exactly. So, like to cut a block really quickly, you need to put least least amount of hits in it with the quickest strike rate. So, um, you can go and put a long handle on an axe and and have huge amount of power, but because you can't develop that strike rate. It's not possible to do that. So there's happy medium between. Yeah, everything. look, it's not dissimilar in cycling. What people won't realise in cycling, you've got crank length. So the yeah. arm that attaches to the front chain ring and the pedal. Now, smaller chain ring, you can turn it over a lot quicker. Yeah. Longer chain ring, you can produce more power, but you actually actually end up burning a lot more glycogen and your cadence will generally be a little bit lower. Yeah. And so it is about finding that balance. But often it is, and I'll ask you this, it often... You base that on your own sort of mechanics. You base that for on sure. your own plumbing. And is that a similar thing for you? I mean, you're quite exactly. a tall guy. As I said, I don't think you, you certainly wouldn't look at look at a place in the All Blacks. Yeah, that's exactly how it works. So the rules, 
like you you basically find the best fit for your own body makeup that can allow you to develop that um, you know the most amount of power with the quickest cadence basically mm. so um, so you tailor your own equipment to suit that and there's also preferences with uh, like the handle sizes how, how the how the grip feels on the handle yeah and, and clearly the axe itself is where the most of the weight is because uh, what are we steel are we yep it's high carbon steel high carbon steel yeah so um, that that holds the the best cutting edge for because I was going to ask you this, from when your father was competing to say when Sonny Bolstad and those guys were competing, how much of an evolution has there been in the technology of the axes in terms of the material, in terms of the metal? It's been huge. Has yeah. it? Yeah, it's been huge. And, uh, and that's carried right through to what you pick up, say if you're going to go and buy a top-end axe in, a say, a Mitre 10 or wherever. Um, it's like in Formula 1, a lot of the Formula 1, it's about development and then taking what they've learned in F1 and putting it into everyday cars. Is it similar? It's not really because the properties required for an everyday X, so um, are very basic, like the blades are much thicker, the steel doesn't have to be that high quality because of the thickness of the blades, whereas we're kind of pushing the limit of what the steel is capable of. So... If you can imagine it like this, we're swinging like three and a half kg axe heads and these blades are sharpened to sometimes 14 degrees, which is which is really, really thin. And you're putting all your power behind that blade into, into a log at an angle and you're expecting that steel to hold up with all that force that's been applied to the axe head. And the forces going on that blade are incredible. Like um, these, these axe heads have to be forged. They have to be made from high quality tool steel, and they have to be expertly heat treated and tempered. And uh, yeah, so we're right at the the, the edge of what that steel. Okay, so how? Of. So who customizes your equipment for you? You must have a sponsor out there. You must have a company that does it for you. Feel free. There's only a few companies in the world that manufacture axes of a high enough quality and we're, we're really lucky in New Zealand um, Tuatahi racing axes and saws they make the we're finest. Tuatahi based they're in Masterton and they've been uh, making high quality axes and saws for I think close on 50 years do they now. do it the old-fashioned way yep they they, they have a, um, a forge hammer and they buy the in the steel they buy the steel in billets and they forge all the axe heads out and then grind them down to size and heat treat and temper in-house. In so they're a pretty amazing company. 